listening to a podcast from Light FM. It's a light breakfast with Asha and Non. And this morning, we're starting off with a chat about andropos with Dr. Devinjan Manaharan, urologist from General Hospital and Pantai Hospital, on a subject that is, shall we say, well, it's not easy to bring up, especially mm. amongst men. So we're so glad to have this opportunity. Good morning, Doc. Good morning. Morning. Doc, andropause is often mislabeled as the male menopause or even considered a myth. Could you enlighten us? Is it real? What is it actually? Oh, thank you so much for that question. I think that's a great question to start off with. Um, essentially, it's not a myth, but there are a lot of different terms that we can use to describe the physiological effects that happen when an aging man starts to lose androgen. And androgen is the male sexual hormone. Um, this is a topic that in urology itself, it's quite controversial. It's been discussed at many different meetings. And as a result, there's so many different terms for it. We call it male menopause, male climetrics, androclase. There's a term that's known as ADAM, which is androgen decline in an aging male. And of late, what we urologists and uh, andrologists like to use is a term known as late onset hypogonadism. Now, unlike in females where menopause is well understood, um, andropause is not. You see, in menopause, the drop in sex hormones happens over a very short period of time. And the symptoms that women experience are quite well understood. But in men, this drop in androgen happens over a long period of time. Studies have actually shown that this drop only happens at the rate of 1% per year. And the onset of the drop can actually happen from the age of 30, but by and large, it happens around the age of 40. The, the difference between andropause and menopause is the symptoms that men actually have when the sex hormone drops are very vague and non-specific. It's very different from menopause where almost everyone understands the symptoms and that, that females go through. In men, it's very different because uh, each man actually responds to the drop in testosterone differently. And this drop in testosterone in different individuals is also affected by different things such as obesity, chronic disease, diabetes, uh, lifestyle, and as such, um, you do get different presentation. Now, the drop in testosterone happens as a result of the physiological changes in aging. When we age, uh, we lose cells. So we tend to lose cells in our testes. So this affects the Leydig cells, which produce the testosterone. And we also get a loss of the hypothalamopituitary axis. So this is at the level in the brain. So hormonal secretion is controlled by our brain and it acts on the testes and it stimulates the testes to produce the testosterone. Now, as men age, there are changes that happen to this and it's just that the manifestation of the symptoms may be different in different individuals. Earlier, you talked a bit about men presenting with symptoms anywhere between 30 and 40. So there's an average age, I guess. What sort of symptoms yeah. should men be looking out for when they hit that average age? Yeah, the, the problem with it, again, as I mentioned earlier, the symptoms are quite vague. We generally divide the symptoms into three groups. Uh, the main symptoms that men are going to have are sexual symptoms, physical symptoms, and psychological symptoms. Now, sexual symptoms that men may experience at this time will be a loss of the libido, decrease in sexual activity, and of course, erectile dysfunction. Physical symptoms that men may manifest with will be a bit of decreased muscular strength. Uh, they may develop an testicular atrophy but the symptoms that um, are a bit more confusing are actually the psychological symptoms that men may have you get a bit of insomnia depression uh, decreased motor and concentration um, especially impairment uh, these men have a bit of lack of self-confidence there's a bit of a lack of motivation and and generally there are a lot of symptoms that i've just described the main thing about them and these symptoms are non-specific they can be due to a lot of other factors 
in an aging man as well. So that makes it difficult for us to actually diagnose someone as having this late onset hypogonadism or better known as andropause. So to accurately diagnose the symptoms, uh, we've got different questionnaires that we can use. Um, there's something known as the aging man questionnaire and Adam questionnaire. And they generally divide the questions to three symptoms, sexual, physical, and psychological. But to confirm the diagnosis, we need to take a level of serum testosterone. Um, we need two levels of serum testosterone. Ideally, it's taken early in the morning because that's when the level of our hormones are the highest. And we take two separate readings separately apart. And once we have a reading that shows the serum testosterone is low with the patient's symptoms, can we accurately diagnose someone as having a late onset hypogonadism? And again, the level of the testosterone is a bit controversial. We go for a range about less than 12 or less than 8. So if that's the case, and if it's difficult to pinpoint symptoms, then as a matter of course, if I am within that range, assuming I even know that I've hit that average age for andropause, as a matter of course, would my physician suggest a barrage, the, the questionnaire as you suggest, or, or do I have to say, you know what, I think I might have andropause? Well, I guess the main thing at this point, it's a diagnosis of exclusion. Right? We need to investigate what other causes this patient could be having for his low sexual desire, his loss of libido. Generally, it could be something like tiredness itself. So it's up to the clinician to have a high index of suspicion, just like you said, at someone who's at this age, he's 40 to 50. And I believe the symptoms are non-specific. Most of the time, we have general specific symptoms for certain diseases. Now, things like diabetes, hypertension, they can even manifest in the same way with, you know, lethargy and weakness. So this is where it's very difficult for clinicians as well. But this is what we urologists and andrologists are hoping by having forums like this, where we educate people and hopefully educate clinicians as well, you know, and the general practitioners to know that there are physiological changes that can happen in a man that can mask or mimic the symptoms of other diseases. And that's why we need a high index of suspicion in this case. So could existing illnesses like diabetes or obesity be causes for early andropause? Uh, that's a, another great question. That There is a definite association between chronic diseases such as um, diabetes and obesity with andropause. I'm going to start about obesity first. Obesity studies are quite interesting because uh, they have shown that when men actually have a lot of uh, central deposition of fat, especially around the peripheral area. Um, sometimes we have these things known as sex hormone binding globulins, which are more. So the free testosterone that's actually supposed to be circulating in your body and giving you all of these good symptoms end up binding to these fat cells. So it reduces that itself. And lower androgen levels themselves from other causes actually can lead to weight gain in men. There have been men who have developed a bit of weight gain by the time they get to 50 and 60 when we actually investigate them and we find that they are having a bit of um, low androgens and we give them testosterone replacement. We actually see these men lose weight. You know, they actually gain muscle bulk and all that. So it's twofold. Obesity can cause the androgen deficiency and the androgen deficiency can cause obesity itself. Right, and it's okay. one of the more widely studied associations, you know. Um, you also asked me about chronic diseases, and that is definitely that. Um, we, we have this term where we call it the metabolic syndrome, where we, we group diseases such as diabetes, hypertension, heart disease, obesity into one group. Because this is something that's very common among our society now. In Malaysia, we are, we are an advanced society. We're more developed. As we get more developed, we get more diseases that are more common in the developed age group. The richer people eat more. You know, We have health, not so healthy diet. And as a result, 
more and more studies have shown these gentlemen, so these group of patients do have low testosterone. And the reason for it is that there are certain things in our bodies that we call inflammatory mediators. And these are released more in chronic diseases. And these chronic inflammatory diseases actually suppress that higher axis that I mentioned like earlier from the brain that actually reduces the stimulation for the testes to produce testosterone. So there's definite an association between the two diseases. And that again makes it quite difficult for us as clinicians because the symptoms could be due to diabetes itself. But the diabetes also can cause the androgen deficiency. So this is where um, we, we like to have an approach of a multidisciplinary team approach. It's not just one doctor that should be managing an aging male. It should be a group of doctors who are working together, andrologists, endocrine, geriatric physicians as well. I mean, we in Malaysia are, are reaching developed country status. So most of our uh, population is going to be aging very soon. And uh, awareness is very important in this particular aspect. The association between the chronic diseases and the androgen deficiency, and vice versa. Is there a link between andropause and one's mental health condition, especially if we're talking about people who are already prone to depression and anxiety? Well, um, definitely, in, in, in short, yes. Right. Um, when, when we discuss about relationships between two diseases, um, as clinicians, we like to look at epidemiological studies. And recently, there's a very large study that was called the EMAS, which is the European Male Aging Study. So what this study actually do, it did, it um, recruited patients with low androgen and it looked at their background to see what kind of diseases they had. And there was a definite association with people who had clinical depression and clinical anxiety. Um, again, it becomes a bit tricky in this management because I think if we mentioned earlier, some patients with androgen deficiency will manifest with similar symptoms as anxiety, tiredness, lethargy and depression. So it kind of makes it two-faced, I mean two ways, you know, because these patients already have pre-existing depression. Now with the low androgen levels, it kind of makes the depression even worse. And the, the, the thing that makes it even complex about it, there are certain drugs that we use to treat depression that can actually interfere with the testosterone production. Oh, wow. So we're dealing with three different factors there. You know, these poor people are already depressed. The androgen deficiency makes them even more depressed. And then when we treat the androgen deficiency, it also can create more, you know, depression and like that. So uh, it is a very difficult thing to manage. And that's why we do need to have a, a holistic approach with using a clinical psychologists and even psychiatrists. The, the other factor that we look into a lot and a lot of studies have shown, especially with our lifestyle, work-related factors, stress, uh, familial stress, all of these actually contribute to uh, decreased androgen in the aging male. Um, some uh, epidemiological studies, especially during the COVID era, era, where there wasn't a higher link of stress among men uh, because of what COVID and um, the stress that they had to do. And these men, when they actually did see them, they did have a higher incidence of low androgen, especially in the younger age group of patients. So it is something that is quite difficult for us to manage, but it's something that we need to be aware about because uh, mental health is very important. And by us investigating these patients and having a high index of suspicion, we can actually treat their mental health if we find out that it's actually due to the androgen deficiency and not the other way around. Right. So f is it fair to say, you know, that all that is correlation is not causation? Agreed. You know, most associations and diseases are mostly correlation. There are very few causal associations. I think to actually come up with a causal association, we need lots of different types of epidemiological studies. But then again, this is something that's very new. You know, the understanding about 
the term late onset hypogonadism. It's a term that's only being used now. And there are more and more studies that are being produced, more epidemiological studies. And I do think in the time to come, we will get a bit more better understanding of the disease and how to treat it better. So, you know, as part of man's aging process, is there a way to prevent or delay andropause? The, the main thing is you can't really prevent the, the drops in androgen level that occur in an aging male. But what we can actually prevent is the symptoms that the patients may manifest. Again, aging is a natural physiological process, but not every man experiences the same symptoms associated with androgen. What we know is that men with chronic diseases and obesity will manifest symptoms a lot more earlier and in a more profound rate as men who don't have this. So just by understanding that we know that by having good weight loss, by having exercise, uh, embracing a healthy lifestyle, this kind of prevents you from developing obesity, obviously. Um, by having an increased muscle mass and less fat, there's less chance of the testosterone binding to the sex hormone binding globulins. And also by control of things like diabetes. When you have a better control of your diabetes, your dyslipidemia, we do see in this particular age group, of, I mean, this particular group of patients, um, the symptoms of andropause is less as compared to others. Uh, smoking cessation, alcohol consumption, all of these are things that need to be controlled. So in general, the simplest way to answer the question is you can delay the onset of the symptoms of anthropos. You can't delay it, you can't delay testosterone dropping, but you can delay how it affects you by embracing a healthy lifestyle. You know, exercise, going to the gym, you know, uh, having a well-balanced diet, and obviously avoiding things like cigarettes and alcohol in excessive amounts. These are things that can actually benefit. And of course, by having a better, less stress in your life, you know, taking things a bit more easy, enjoying the finer things in life. I mean, everybody ages. It's just that some of us age a bit more gracefully than others. And the best way to age gracefully is to age healthy. Testosterone replacement therapy, TRT, is sometimes recommended to treat andropause. And well, can you help us understand how is this treatment administered? Thanks again for the question. Now, it's a good question because... Unlike any other drug, I mean, testosterone can be administered in a variety of ways. It can be given orally as a tablet. It can be given injection-wise, intramuscularly. There are intradermal or subdermal pellets that can be implanted into patients to give a gradual release of testosterone. There are patches, there are gels, and there are even a transmucosal spray. Right. So big, when you have so many different ways of uh, administering the drug, obviously the question is, which is the best way? And each ways have their pros and cons. Some patients don't want injections, so they prefer to take pills. Now, the problem with pills is um, testosterone orally as a pill has a very high rate of metabolism. So patients end up having to take the pills four times a day. And it's sometimes like four or five pills that they have to take four times a day. And, and a lot of patients don't really want to take so much of that. Um, actually, the best or the preferred one is actually injections as well. Every two to three weeks, the patient comes to see a urologist to get an intramuscular the injection. Um, some people do complain it's a bit painful. Um, there has a bit of a local inflammation there at that site. So I do see a lot of my patients actually preferring the, the transdermal gels or patches because it doesn't involve them coming. It's not painful and it gives a good gradual rise of testosterone. In them. So that's the best thing. Um, as with any drug, we, we have some contraindications. Um, specifically to testosterone, we are contraindicated in men who have prostate cancer. The development of prostate cancer is very strongly related to testosterone development. So obviously, in these patients, we wouldn't want to give them more testosterone. 
in men who have developed breast carcinoma, it may be rare, but it is a disease that men can have, are also contraindicated as well. So uh, patients who do uh, administer testosterone, we have to monitor them. We have to check their PSA, which is a prostate-specific antigen, which we use to detect prostate cancer. We assess their symptoms because sometimes when you give testosterone, the prostate does get a bit larger in size. Um, some men can get a bit of worsening of urinary symptoms. So these are things that we need to look about. Also of note, um, men with cardiac issues, we need to have a bit of caution with testosterone. Uh, testosterone tends to make our blood a bit more viscous. It makes it a bit more thick. You know, the hematocrit levels increase. And when this increase, it kind of puts you at a risk of developing any embolic events and strokes. So we also have to follow up this patient, take full blood counts, see the level of the renal blood cells. And it's, it's something that should be administered in caution and it should be administered to patients who really benefit it. And also, I think I mentioned the level of testosterone. Uh, generally, anything between 12 nanomoles per liter is the accepted range where you can administer treatment. Uh, patient education is important. It's not a wonder drug. It doesn't work straight away. The best results can maybe be seen in a month's time. And some patients uh, don't actually see results as well. So this is something that you need to counsel them. But when they do see results, it's quite great. You know, patients get uh, improved feeling, the, the improved mood, uh, erectile dysfunction can be cured, and even loss of weight, increased muscle mass. So it is something that more and more men are getting more popular. And the most important thing is to make sure we rule out the contraindications. We follow these patients up well so they don't develop complications and find the best route of administration for the drug. What about, uh, just very quickly, some common side effects? Um, they do get a bit of, um, you know, local side effects, such as pain and discomfort at that site. But the main side effects that we're concerned about was what I mentioned, you know, developing prostate cancer and all that. Again, it depends on the mode of administration. Oral uh, consumption does get a bit of nausea, abdominal discomfort. Some patients who take bare patches get a bit of local irritation or erythema. And if it's intramuscular, the thing like I mentioned, it's quite painful because it's quite a lot of fluid that's injected intramuscularly. But the most important thing is those um, contraindications because we don't want you know, them to develop cancer. That's something we can avoid. One last question. You know, yes. I was speaking to uh, my own doctor about menopause and the fact that there is no measure of how long it takes to get out the other side and um, be through it into the next phase of life. It could take uh, a day for those who've had a full hysterectomy to, you know, 10 years for some. Is this the same case for men going through andropause? Is it something that all men go through and some just have a little bit more of a difficult time um, if they had an operation, for example, might make it as... <clears throat> yeah. Um, I agree. Yeah. It's, a, it's, it's very true, exactly like what you mentioned. It's all men are different. Now, we do have conditions such as surgical conditions where there's a rapid drop in testosterone level. Um, this is specifically in treatment of prostate cancer. When we treat prostate cancer, there are certain drugs that we give that basically just render the man not having any testosterone. They can be given intramuscularly or oral, or even in the past, the previous treatment for carcinoma of the prostate was undergoing an orchidectomy. So when men had metastatic cancer, uh, prostate cancer, they underwent an orchidectomy and they these, this understanding of what these men actually encountered or symptoms actually allowed us and to understand the other physiological changes that happened to them. But men who have not had surgery, it's, it's very similar. There's no 
real understanding of when will it happen. Um, that the while I was reading up for this particular talk, there was an interesting paper about men who are eighty or ninety years old, and when they actually monitored their testosterone level, it was very very low. It was like subnormal, but these men didn't have any manifestation of the symptoms. So it's very interesting. It's it's something that we don't understand. It's something that we're trying to understand more. But what we do know, it is a clinical entity. It affects everyone differently. But by us having an, an idea that this clinical entity is there, it gives us a better index suspicion in elderly men or even men who are 40 and going there who come to us with very non-specific symptoms. It's something that we think in the back of our head. Um, it's something that I think for sure as we move forward, there'll be a better understanding. But at this particular moment, what's most important is for us out there to be aware that this can be happening to you and for us as doctors to be aware when patients do present to us, they can present in a variety of symptoms due to this. Very quickly, one last question uh, because we've got you on the air. A, a little knowledge is dangerous. Is there such a thing as over-the-counter testosterone? Yes, there is. I mean, unscrupulously, I do believe there might be places that you can get testosterone injections for whatever reason. But again, as I mentioned, they're not drugs that you should take over the counter they need to be monitored the indication has to be clear and i wouldn't definitely not advise against it because they can be very very dangerous as well if they are administered without proper checking as well. especially the the stroke and the heart attack these are things that can happen so please anyone who um you know it's very very easy to get medication over the counter you know there's so many ways that people are advocating to try this and try this and supplements and all if you do consider something like testosterone, please consult your healthcare practitioner, your primary healthcare physician, or your friendly urologist. Thank you so much, Dr. Divindran Manoharan there from Panther Hospital and General Hospital talking about andropause to us today on our You've Got Mail campaign, celebrating men in November with Movember vibes. You can listen to this again on the Light Breakfast podcast. You can find that on the Shock app. You've been listening to a Light FM podcast on Shock. That's S-Y-O-K.